thinking behind it all with Melusi Nice. The thinking behind it all. Welcome to the 16th edition of TTBIA, the thinking behind it all, your only pro-black podcast that is unashamedly pro-black and slash pro-Africanist, as some would say. Please remember that we do not represent or claim to represent the views of each and every black person in the globe. Also, you can join the conversation. You can follow us on Twitter at TTBIA underscore at TTBIA underscore or you can follow us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is The Thinking Behind It All. The Thinking Behind It All. The usual suspect's perspective. As everybody knows, this past week was Mandela Day. For those who don't know, Nelson Mandela was the first democratic president, black democratic president elected in South Africa. He served from 94 to 99. He's a world icon. And since it's 2018, it would have been his 100th birthday had he been alive. So there were big celebrations in South Africa. For the usual suspects perspective, the segment, where we usually would discuss trending news. We're going to talk about the Mandela lecture that took place in Johannesburg. And the main speaker of that event was Barack Obama, not Cyril Ramaphosa. I just thought I should drop that in. Um, so a lot was said and a lot was dissected. There was a lot of shade. It was quite an insightful speech for some. Others were not too thrilled. They just figured that Obama came to South Africa, said some things that people have been saying for quite some time. And of course, Obama in his own right has his own controversies that people think about when his name come up point in case the war in libya so i just want to speak to the team about the speech to get their thoughts about it what stood out what were the clutch moments what did they like what didn't they like where do they feel obama showed character where do they feel he dropped the ball how do they feel about obama in relation to what is being currently discussed this year in South Africa, that being the centurion of Nelson Mandela. So, Ricardo, what are your thoughts? I thought he did 
better than I expected. I expected a more mundane, ho-hum speech. I expected a speech more on Mandela's attributes. Well, there was some of that, um, but I, I don't think it was the idol worship that <laughs> that a lot of people are prone to give at such events as this. For those who I saw, you know, on social media and in um, mainstream media who were saying more people, uh, more left-leaning people were saying, well, it's the same old, same old. I honestly wonder what they were expecting then, because as a former president of a major nation, I think it was a bit provocative from a person of his elk and of his background but that's just me but i only have maybe one or two complaints about it but maybe I, i'll mention that later when we're talking about things we didn't like sure uh Busi, yeah initial thoughts yeah i mean obama is a great speaker he's so charismatic he is just so charming like even the way he started off the speech the jokes just you know how he even he says i have to pronounce mvezo right you know like at the beginning mm-hmm. where nelson Mandela's from i like that i like that his speech <laughs> it was very well balanced and i feel like most of the time i can't think of many presidents that i would actually like or ex-presidents that i'd actually want to see speak but Obama mm-hmm. is certainly one of those people that I'm interested in seeing and hearing what he has to say, especially since his presidency, right? Yeah, but overall, I thought it was a great speech. I thought it was palatable. I thought it wasn't ground-shaking or anything. It mm-hmm. wasn't. It didn't change my life. But yeah, like if this had been my speech, like graduation speech, I probably wouldn't have remembered what the core message was 20 years from now. But I would remember that Obama said my speech, you know? What brought the speech to my attention was the fact that I was already put off by the idea of Barack Obama coming to South Africa speaking during this tenure. And by this tenure, I'm referring to the New Dawn slash Tumamina era of President Cyril Ramaphosa. You know, it was like, yeah, of course you're going to get a neoliberal to come and speak on an event just because you want to score brownie points if i can put it that way and it's good pr you know it's what your santin folk would like it's what your elites would like it's what young aspiring professionals would probably like so it's something that if people are not really politically minded in that way in that they think deeply about things and how things are talked about and i'll explain this shortly it's something that they would approve of obama why wouldn't you want him there you know i mean to show the extent to which some of these people were just gaga about the whole occasion they were busy chanting yes we can i mean you know <laughs> Um, Obama wasn't even using that slogan come 2012 when he mm. was running for office again. So you could tell that they were still thinking of that campaign, the 2008 campaign, which was a campaign that I even liked. But be that as it may, he came up and he did a speech and I was like, wow, you surprised me. Now, as for what 
stood out for me from the speech. I'm kind of like goosey on this. Like, nah, it's not a speech that I'll remember. But it's not because I won't remember it due to the fact that it was just all crap. No, I won't remember it because these are things that we dissect and debate all the time when you listen to TTBIA you'll hear some of these ideas coming through and you'll hear our stances on these things and sadly though and I pointed this out to the group I think in our admin group that it's unfortunate because people like us we've said some of these things but usually even in our circles people kind of like scoff you off like yeah yeah whatever you know it, it seemed as if these ideas are not acceptable and all of that and all of a sudden there were people chanting clapping and like oh it's so profound you know we've never heard these inspiring words before and all of that the thing that stood out for me in the speech was his discussion on neoliberalism he didn't point it out as such he talked about it as globalization and the impact of globalization the reason why this stood out for me is because the media did not pay attention to this i don't know whether it was deliberately so because they knew that it implicates some of their companies and the views of the people who they represent and from europe to africa latin america southeast asia dictatorships began to give way to democracies the march was on a respect for human rights and the rule of law enumerated in a declaration by the United Nations became the guiding norm for the majority of nations. Even in places where the reality fell far short of the ideal. Even when those human rights were violated, those who violated human rights were on the defensive. With these geopolitical changes came sweeping economic changes. The introduction of market-based principles in which previously closed economies, along with the forces of global integration powered by new technologies, suddenly unleashed entrepreneurial ta talents to those that once had been relegated to the periphery of the world economy, who hadn't counted. Suddenly they counted. They had some power. They had the possibilities of doing business. And, and then came scientific breakthroughs and new infrastructure and the reduction of armed conflicts. And suddenly a billion people were lifted out of poverty. And once starving nations were able to feed themselves and, and infant mortality rates plummeted. Meanwhile, the spread of the internet made it possible for people to connect across oceans. And cultures and continents instantly were brought together. And potentially, all the world's knowledge could be in the hands of a small child in even the most remote village. That's what happened just over the course of a few decades. And all that progress is real. 
it has been broad and it has been deep. And it all happened in what by the standards of human history was nothing more than a blink of an eye. And now an entire generation has grown up in a world that by most measures has gotten steadily freer and healthier and wealthier and less violent and more tolerant during the course of their lifetimes. People being more healthier, I don't know if I agree with that. People being more free, I don't know if I agree with that. And less wars, I don't know if I agree with that. And people being wealthier, I don't understand exactly what he means by that. This aspect was not really scrutinized in the media because he follows this up by saying that globalization has also upended the agricultural and manufacturing sectors in many countries has also greatly reduced the demand for certain workers has helped weaken unions and laborers bargaining power it's made it easier for capital to avoid tax laws and the regulations of nation states can just move billions, trillions of dollars with a tap of a computer key. And the result of all these trends has been an explosion in economic inequality. It's meant that a few dozen individuals control the same amount of wealth as the poorest half of humanity. Oh, okay, so what is it? You know, did people become rich or didn't they become rich in this period of time? And, you know, and he doesn't really talk about the various diseases. The fact that societies are plagued by health issues. Doesn't talk about the fact that universal health care is still not a reality in most cases. And when you look at the UK, the NHS is under threat there, for example. So I don't know what your guys' thoughts are. He actually did make mention of universal health care in his speech. It wasn't highlighted, but he did mention that he would like universal health care globally in, in his speech. I agree with pretty much your, your take on it, M and Boosie. I especially think that this is a thing that Americans are prone to do, even when speaking to an international audience. And maybe this is what plagued him in his speech as well. We have a way of thinking as america as the world <laughs> i know it's a very condescending way to think but when you're in a country where culturally financially and i don't know economically i guess as well you know it, you're kind of first amongst everyone else so in the 60s 70s 80s there was a lesser gap between rich and poor. There was a bigger middle class in the United States. And then in the 90s, that started to regress. I understand the yeah. interpretation, but then my question to that would be that in the 60s and 70s, if anything, neoliberalism was starting at that time. You know, it was still being conceptualized and being tested out in various parts of the world. And it only came into effect in the reagan era as far as america is concerned so there was a period where indeed you know but then as you point out in the 90s 
there was regression and funny thing is that's when it really took flight that's when mandela was released that's when the berlin wall collapsed it was the fall mm-hmm. of the soviet union etc etc you know all of these events were happening but at the same time governments or the elites were ignoring a growing problem Mm-hmm. If I were to categorize him, because obviously we are a generation of labels or n- no labels, I'd say he's a neoliberal reformist. So he doesn't necessarily think that neoliberalism <laughs> is bad. He thinks that we can fix neoliberalism, right? Like that, that's actually what his speech is really saying. It's saying, look, neoliberalism has had bad effects but it's also had some good effects and for instance when he talks about the sustainable development goals he says we need to move away from this charity mentality right he doesn't critique the sdgs right he just says the approach is wrong what about the inclusive capitalism remark that he made Ooh, guys <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know that because that is the funniest part of that whole speech. Actually, actually, <laughs> when I when I heard him say that, I was just dying. Oh my gosh! Like my intention was to call out Ricardo. Like Ricardo, come on, tell us what inclusive capitalism. How does hey it guys. look like to an American? What inclusive capitalism? Yes. What does it? What do I think of it? What did, to an American? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not even sure what in, uh, what it means to be an inclusive capitalist. Does that mean that everyone has the opportunity with under this economic system to thrive? Is that was that the way you guys interpreted his statement? He says that the way in which we can change the world, part of his speech, is that we need to invest in the poor because he sees entrepreneurship potential. It's still the same model, which is if you invest in enough entrepreneurs, then hopefully those people become wealthy themselves. And, and that's that can, the idea of inclusive capitalism, right? Yeah, so they can employ others. So it's basically the notion that we come out of poverty and so forth by people using entrepreneurship and investment to to create jobs and grow so the economy doing further. What he's been doing for the past 20 30 years. Yes, essentially that's what he's saying. He's just he's just redirecting. So instead of saying, okay guys, let's do the SDGs and have charity to kind of fix the problem, what we actually just need to do is grow the economy even bigger. Have more and, uh, have more Ramaphosas and Mutepe. Yeah, and then and Donald Trump It'll go away, basically. Uh, I don't know about that. I, I, I don't know if he's saying more Donald Trumps. Uh, I yeah, think no, talking about more small and medium-sized business, not people who already were born into millions creating more billions by basically stealing from others. I think we're kind of talking two different things. But let me ask you guys a question. This might be provocative. I hope it doesn't come off as so, right? What he's talking about, I look at that and I go, huh. It worked pretty well in a lot of Jewish communities. Could the same not work for black people? Because if we go back to the 60s, right, and the nation of Islam in the United States led by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, right, that was his thing. And Malcolm X, too. He's like, well, why can't black people make our own business, make our own laundry mats, restaurants, things that and the third? That's kind of what the Harlem Renaissance was about as well. So you remember the last time when black people tried that thing when they had their own stock exchange they dealt with that real quick yes the black um, oh black, black wall, wall street. street yeah 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 that was what in the 1930s or 40s yeah, 30s, 30s yeah. i think just 30s yeah yeah, yeah. 30s. and black people <laughs> were thriving 
You know, it but, was but something that doesn't there. mean that. But so so it's shown to have worked. Now, not to say that why the elitists couldn't stomp it out again, but I think it'd be harder to do in this climate than it was 30 years ago. Exactly. So I, I mean, I, in I the 1930s. Sorry. The difference is um, because Ricardo was essentially asking the question of why can't black communities create these economies and so forth. So actually, that's what my dissertation is on. It's about the township economy, which is a black-run economy for the most part, right? I think the difference is that institutionally, things have changed so much from the 60s to now at a macro and a micro scale that do not enable us to grow in the same way. So we actually need to almost be more creative about how we will create these economies. We can't even adopt the same strategy because of the way that the institutions have changed. Also bear in mind that at least in South Africa, when you look at township economies, they're being invaded again by white businesses. So you find established white businesses setting up shop there. They're the ones building shopping malls. They're the ones making their supermarkets, which essentially is running down the SMEs, you know, so you have your pick and pays over there. You have Woolworths. There. I mean, ShopRite spa, shop even right. has those little shops. Yes, in, ShopRite Express. You know how ShopRite is starting Express. that small containers. No, but I mean, you know how they've created those small containers that um, replicate um, Spaza shops. So you've got a big formal company coming in and establishing smaller formal like businesses that replicate the informal structure of the economy and capitalizing on that so what is that doing it's running informal business money ricardo what didn't you like about the speech so we can close up gandhi (laughs) (laughs) i know what you didn't like Anybody who knows me knows like the Gandhi part, my, my disdain for that man. And to be clear, it's not that I hate him for the sake of hating him. I hate the way that history has graciously omitted his racism and his misogynistic behavior. That's the part that bothers me. If you're going to tell a person's story, tell the whole story so we can put him as a man in the proper context or a woman you know depending on the the subject that's the part that really gets me so in south africa here we have uh african american former president you know extolling the virtues of gandhi as some kind of i don't know you know person who united folks and showed us the right path <laughs> it was absurd the and, right path is that women are inferior the you right not path is that these? the kafir is not to be taken on the same level as the indian like no come yeah, on exactly come on and 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 you can peacefully protest and then when you get home you beat your wife to let go the anger that you couldn't do to the white man who you were facing you know like come on yeah you should have all that energy and whoop some British person's ass when you were protesting peacefully take that you should have transferred that energy there instead of beating up your wife when you got home I think the worst part is that he says I believe in a vision shared by Gandhi and King and Abraham Lincoln that I believe, right? Like, whoo! Wow. He says, I believe in a vision of equality and justice and freedom and uh-huh. multiracial democracy. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, like, 
Something God oh, was so much wrong completely with against a multiracial. Just... Yeah. I don't know if that was just ignorance on his behalf, and if so, if so, shame on him. So, just for the record, so everybody knows, TTBIA does not endorse the comment made by former President Barack Obama that Gandhi is a hero of some sort. We think of him as a racist and a sexist and a misogynist. And I, well, I'll put it like this. He's a hero to Indians <laughs> in India. <laughs> no, sure. Fair <laughs> enough. You know, yeah, fair yeah, enough. Everybody's that's what I'm saying. Well, you got to keep it in contact. Yeah, you because know? someone like, else is going to come back and say, yeah, but Mandela also beat his wife, right? And we'll be like, okay, yeah, guys, sure. We don't even want to talk about these things yet. <laughs> I, I don't even want to engage in this conversation now. Mm-hmm. I just... No, we should be trying away from these things. These are facts. These are and, facts. And, so this is why I believe in not yeah. hiding the truths of these people who we often put on pedestals, you know? I, I think Nelson Mandela said we should not treat him as a saint. And I, I always find it interesting because whenever I go to these events, people feel this d- desire and need to keep him as a saint, even though he actually explicitly said, do not treat me as a saint. So I... You know, I don't know if it's just the human condition that makes us feel like these people have to be these perfect heroes. And mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like there's this this desire. I think it's the same thing that happens with Gandhi. It's like, well, we're going to ignore everything else and we're going to focus on the positives, you know, kind uh-huh. of vibe. And same thing with Martin Luther King here in the United States. Yes. Yeah, but the wash up of Gandhi's history is really bad because somehow the part about Dr. King and his mannerisms mm-hmm. and what he did somehow that does slip out doesn't it Mandela oh, yeah. too, that, uh, that does to an extent it depends which right. circles you're in but the Gandhi one for some reason he's no, wow Gandhi's the worst of the, oh, of no. the three he's in well my protected. opinion because he was also all a, a well-rounded asshole like <laughs> exactly. I don't know like, <laughs> the <center of> the <laughs> he said one thing. someone who was gentle and all of that but he wasn't even Definitely. gentle <laughs> no but you know the question is always to whose benefit is the narrative, right? Like, that's always the mm-hmm. question. Because ultimately, when the Mandela or Gandhi or Martin Luther King stories are being perpetuated, they're there for a reason. When they're being mainstreamed, and, you know, like I said the other day, on the Parliament Square here in the UK, the only people of colour on that square, which is full of statues of, you know, British people who are, well, I don't even want to describe them that much, but basically in Parliament Square, Mandela and Gandhi are the only two people of color. And I think they've also got one woman, right? So Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me that these two characters are the most accepted people of color, really. That's what the British government is saying, right? These people have space and can be in our space and have physical representations of themselves on our Parliament Square. That's what happens when you make a deal with the enemy. If you have any other comment about what we've just discussed in the USP section, please drop us a comment. Let us know what you think. Whether you agree or disagree with our views, we welcome each and every person's view, as always. You can go to Facebook, The Thinking Behind It All. That's our Facebook page, at TTBIA underscore. That's our Twitter handle, at TTBIA underscore. We're looking forward to your comment. Comment.
This past week, Donald Trump was in Europe, where he stopped in Brussels for a NATO summit, the UK to meet the Prime Minister and the Queen, and finally in Finland, where there was a summit with the Russian Federation President Vladimir Putin. So let's start in Brussels at the NATO summit. Here's what he had to say about his NATO allies, specifically Germany. Germany is totally controlled by Russia. Interesting enough, after the NATO summit, he made mention of Article 5, where basically it says that if one nation in NATO is attacked, the others are bound to intervene as well. So the only time that Article 5 has been evoked in the last 70 years was in the defense of the United States after the 9-11 attack, September 11th, 2001. So, after Brussels, he went on to the UK, where he was met by a lot of protests, including a big orange baby in diapers, which had a striking resemblance to Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, but besides the protests, he kind of made waves of his own when speaking about Prime Minister Theresa May and how he feels that she is essentially botching the Brexit situation and he feels that if Brexit goes through as she is proposing that the United States will cut off trade ties with Great Britain. So here's what he said in an interview in the UK. Well if they do a deal like that it will most likely because we'll be dealing with the uh, European Union instead of dealing with the UK. So it will probably kill the deal with, if they do that, the, their trade deal with the US is, will probably not be made. He really got the ire of a lot of people here in the United States, on the left and on the right, over his comments made in Finland. He was asked if he believed Vladimir Putin, who denies Russian meddling in the 2016 presidential election, or does he believe the United States intelligence community, which all say that Russia did have a hand in meddling in the 2016 presidential election? Let's hear what he had to say about that. So let me just say that we have two thoughts. You have groups that are wondering why the FBI never took the server. Why haven't they taken the server? Why was the FBI told to leave the office of the Democratic National Committee? I've been wondering that. I've been asking that for months and months, and I've been tweeting it out and calling it out on social media. Where is the server? I want to know where is the server and what is the server saying? With that being said, all I can do is ask the question. My people came to me, Dan Coates came to me and some others. They said they think it's Russia. Uh, I have uh, President Putin. Uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be, but I really do want to see the server. Uh, but I have, uh, I have confidence in both parties. I, I really believe that this will probably go on for a while, but I don't think it can go on without finding out what happened to the server. What happened to the servers of the Pakistani gentleman that worked on the DNC? Where are those servers? They're missing. Where are they? What happened to Hillary Clinton's emails? 33,000 emails, gone, just gone. 
I think in Russia they wouldn't be gone so easily. I think it's a disgrace that we can't get Hillary Clinton's 33,000 emails. So I have great confidence in my intelligence people, but uh, I will tell you that President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial today. And what he did is an incredible offer. He offered to have the people working on the case come and work with their investigators with respect to the 12 people. I think that's an incredible offer. Okay, thank you. So now he decided to backtrack his words and explain exactly what he meant. Let's take a listen to him defending his words in that he spoke in uh, Finland. I have full faith and support for America's great intelligence agencies, always have. And I have felt very strongly that while Russia's actions had no impact at all on the outcome of the election, let me be totally clear in saying that, and I've said this many times, I accept our intelligence community's conclusion that Russia's meddling in the 2016 election took place. Could be other people also. Uh, there's a lot of people out there. Uh, there was no collusion at all. And people have seen that and they've seen that strongly. The House has already come out very strongly on that. A lot of people have come out strongly on that. I thought that I made myself very clear by having just reviewed the transcript. Now I have to say, I came back and I said, what is going on? What's the big deal? So I got a transcript, I reviewed it. I actually went out and uh, reviewed a clip of uh, an answer that I gave. And I realized that there is a need for some clarification. It should have been obvious. I thought it would be obvious, but I would like to clarify just in case it wasn't. In a key sentence in my remarks, I said the word would instead of wouldn't. The sentence should have been, I don't see any reason why I wouldn't or why it wouldn't be Russian. So just to repeat it, I said the word would instead of wouldn't. And the sentence should have been, and I thought it would be maybe a little bit unclear on the transcript or unclear on the actual video. The sentence should have been, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be Russia. Sort of a double negative. As we can see, um, he definitely doesn't mind rattling the cages of supposed allies and befriending people who are supposedly adversaries, if not necessarily enemies. And I wonder if it's just a way of him collecting the spotlight and trying to be contrarian and not necessarily focusing on good global politics that would put the United States in the best positions of strength moving forward. Ricardo, Donald Trump has been out and about visiting your friends, your foes, and it seems as if that, at least in the United States, both the liberals and the conservatives are not too thrilled, at least with how he conducted himself 
towards your friends and towards your foes. He treated <laughs> your foe as a friend and, for the record, and your friends as a foe. These are, these are not foe. my friends and foes because I don't know none of these white people he talking to. I just know <laughs> of them. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I get you, though. I get you. Nationalistically speaking, of course. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> just Yo, want to clarify you know, for the audience. You. I was just putting you on the test just to see how white you are, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on there this is one of my biggest gripes of donald trump i often feel that he lets his personal feelings and um agenda affect the national argument specifically on a international or global scale um i think he feels that being provocative on a global scale will cover his indecisiveness and his natural aversion to conflict. And, and I think it's not paying off in the way he thinks it is. So I take the NATO summit, for example. So in the clip, he sits down, he's saying, Germany's being controlled by Russia. If that isn't the pot calling the kettle black, my friend, I'm like, I don't know about that one, buddy. <laughs> Looks like Russia's controlling the United States. <laughs> but hey, you know. Um, and just very inflammatory remarks. And then in the video, you see his chief of staff and his other cabinet members cringing at his words because they're like, we're going to have to defend his words now. You know, how are we going to spin that one? <laughs> exactly. That's that. I think that's exactly what's going through their minds. They're like, oh, I'm going to be up late tonight trying to put the spin on this, you know. Nah, but white people don't struggle with it because he came back. He came back and he was like, nah, I forgot to add the knot. After he the doubled word. down. Like, and like, 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 Barack double Obama negative. Said, oh, yeah, yes. So then we go. So, firstly, we will, let's go down chronologically. So then he goes to the UK where he uh, lets us all know that he gave Theresa May advice on how to handle Brexit. And, you know, she comes and says, yeah, his advice was to sue the EU. But guys, white people haven't been so much disarray in a long time, though. Yo. His white establishments are going crazy. <laughs> not since right after they're World pulling, War II, right? They're not pulling punches, yo. Bussy, <laughs> no? strongman <laughs> politics, would you say so? The thing that Trump has been saying is just, wow, I, you know, I'm just thinking back also in chronological order when he was at um, the NATO meeting and he basically implies that Montenegro could start a World War Three. Like, why? Like, why in the world would he think that a small country like Montenegro would start World War Three? And why would he say those comments? Like, but it was just so unnecessary, really. And then I'm thinking Ms. when Coach, you went to fake news here, go on. Hey guys, and when he was in London, he also had an attack on the mayor of London, basically blaming him for the British terrorist attacks. And I'm oh just yes, like, mm -hmm. he said that because he was directly annoyed that the mayor allowed all those protests to go on in London. Oh, yeah, and and the balloon. You oh yeah, know, the I think that's what really got under his skin. The attack was in on the Labour, right? So he was basically blaming the Labour Party for the British... Because it's not just the mayor of London. It's actually essentially saying that the Labour Party is responsible for the British terrorism attacks, which is such a big accusation um, and on such a global scale that it's just so... Uh, I don't know, guys. I don't even know what to say about this man anymore, really. So are these the rightest 
politics of the day that have come up in the last five to eight years. I think even um, to my dismay, Barack Obama mentioned this. And, you know, now because of globalization's mishaps or misgivings or shortcomings at least, now we find ourselves in a situation where other groups, extremists, can come in and capture the moment, so to speak. Is this evidence of that? When you use globalization, are you using it in the way Barack Obama was using it as in his speech? Like what you're saying of the neoliberal yes, yes. thing? I say no, because I think this predates neoliberalism. No, no, I'm, um, I'm, I'm not mean, saying that this is because of new. I'm saying is oh, this the right rightist politics that we are seeing playing out that were remarked at? I definitely think it plays a role, um, but ultimately it's neo-fascism is really what we're seeing um here and ultra-nationalism along with you know the everything that comes along with that the xenophobia um, essentially the white supremacy you know so uh, donald trump also said in uh when he was in london that the uk needs to protect their culture what does that mean to me it means protect our whiteness but that's just my interpretation of that i don't know like no but remember though Boris Johnson also made a similar remarks when he was justifying his resignation oh, from Theresa May's yeah. cabinet. He was talking about mm-hmm. a global Britain, you know, and I took it as, oh, not only is it neocolonialism, but it's like neocolonialism 2.3 or 0.4 hey, or 0.5, wherever we are right now. You know, he was like, mm-hmm. yes, we're making partners with um, Africa. We're happy that, what do you call that group of Stooches again? The, the, co- no, the colonial. Yes, what is it? Something. Co- the Commonwealth, yeah. Yeah, that, the that, Commonwealth. Yes, he was oh. like, the Commonwealth is back on track. Zimbabwe is back. Oh, and Angola is back. So you could hear that, damn, these boys are having a real good time. You know, everything that they had envisioned and had strategized for the past five years is coming to be. They've had the referendum for Brexit and it seems like they are having that hold over part of the world that they used to control strongly before. And under certain governments, their control was a bit looser. But now it seems like they've got their people in place. There are my posters of this world. Busi? Uh, 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 did you just <laughs> accuse yourself of being a no, really, but not right. This is not right. <laughs> this is not right, guys. It's just the evolution of thought, right? Like, so we went from classical to neoclassical economics to, you know, we kind of like in the neos. And I'm just interested to see what's the next down because we went from colonialism to neocolonialism. And next, who knows what's, you know, I don't think we get to post. I hope we do get to post eventually. But I just think this is just a reflection of where it is now and we kind of over neoliberalism and this is kind of like the next stage of it and we just don't know what to call it yet. So Ricky, do we accept that past systems have failed, now we just need to come up with a new plan for it as the world? Because we see the effects of having a Trump. Well, I believe that at least some of us are seeing that. Or do we say that 
Trump's way of doing business is the way to go. I honestly think that people like Boris Johnson and Donald Trump and the power that they did or had wielded is a direct relationship to white fear. At least their platforms were based on fear, fear of losing what we have. And, you know, when you are the oppressor, right? Equality is not seen as equality. It's, it's seen as taking what I have. And, and that's really mm -hmm. what we're seeing here. So in the United States, it's not affirmative action giving people of color better chances of getting into Ivy League schools. It's they're taking a white spot mm -hmm. out of a, a Ivy League school, you know? And that scares them. And, and people like Donald Trump and Boris Johnson know how to live on that fear. So what do we do, though, going forward? Do we accept that we as people of the world would need to map out a new order, so to speak, a new way of doing things, mm -hmm. governance system? Uh, I just You know what's the thing, idea, one thing I think we could really do, um, honestly? Stop underestimating how racist people can be, you know? Mm. Like... I could just say, as a black person in America, we sat here and we go, oh, Donald Trump, never. Look at all these things. He's grabbing women by their genitals, saying it's okay. He's t telling how Mexicans are rapists. No one could ever stand for this, really. Surely we've come far enough. And, you know, black people went to the polls. We did our part. And then the centrist and more liberal white folk who we thought would see this for what it was, they're like, oh, well, you know, I want little Johnny to get into a good school. I don't know about this affirmative action thing anymore. But racism is over. So, yeah, let me just vote for who I think will give me the best returns economically. And here we have what we have. But see, isn't that the story of black people, though? All of a sudden, 94 came in South Africa. Five years later, because you had a teddy bear president, people were like... <laughs> Ah, racism is over. Why are you people still complaining about this kind of thing? Hey guys, and so on this and so forth. Is they use Mandela it's exactly. So I don't usually love things that Julius Malema says, but I love this particular statement where he says that Mandela did what Mandela had to do at the time, but we are not Mandela. I love that. I love that so much because I think, again, the Nelson Mandela tool is being used to pacify us. It's being used to say, look at him. He's a good man. And, you know, Nelson the Mandela was an optimist. A good black, right? An optimist and all these things. Ideologically, he had his, his views, right? And now we all expected to have the same ideological views as him. Like, no. And, this, and we really need to think about what is our identity. And I think before we even think about world order, the question is, who are we as a people? And in terms of like, what are our identities? What's our identity? Because obviously we're not all Nelson Mandela's. We don't want to, to just get over it, right? Because there's steps to take. And I always say, you know, if you've got a vision board, right? Like, and you write all the things you want to achieve. Nelson Mandela's words are a vision board. They're not the strategy of getting to it. So they're just the vision. And I think we need to work on the in-between step. Because I think we've missed strategy to get there. Would you say former President Zuma aptly summarize Mandela's career by saying that his goal was to obtain political freedom. Now, 
to get economic freedom and security, it's up to the rest of us to take the struggle further. That's what it means mm-hmm. to take up the I bottom. I think Barack Obama said something similar in his speech. Mm-hmm. He might have been piggybacking off of what uh, Suma said. So uh, no, I agree. I think then, even when we look at democracy, black people freed themselves, right? Nelson Mandela did not free black people. Black mm-hmm. people freed themselves, and it's again this labor that we need to undertake to create all these you know what i mean like these opportunities for ourselves and break some of these systems and institutions but though ricardo rightly points mm-hmm. out that we, we become blinded to these situations where we think racism is a non-factor for some time and mm-hmm. you know part of the narrative is driven by white liberals in that yo guys do we still need this affirmative action thingy do we still need to promote black people yeah it's like black people are good right now we're good yeah you're good? we're good yeah we're no, good I mean, I'm I'm to Ricardo. I like Ricardo <laughs> and I've got a black friend you know He's, he speaks well he doesn't need affirmative action he exactly nice. right exactly with that kind of English you can go anyway <laughs> but it's this is what we're confronted with on a daily basis exactly. and it's so disappointing because you go well what happened to all my white liberal friends who think like me for the most part like how can they not see the danger to me in the election of this person you know or in the passing of these laws but that's the uh, thing about- what happened to helen zilla remember <laughs> what happened to helen zilla from ally to denialist yeah but exactly that's the thing <laughs> i think know? that we as white uh white oh my word <laughs> <laughs> you done switched sides on us right in the middle of the conversation, bro. Wow. Obama worked. Was that a Freudian slip? Yeah. Freudian um, slip. What does Rachel tell us all say she is? She's interracial or what? What's the word she uses? Are you also this other person to join the trend? Guys, identity crisis. You know, these things happen. I don't even know how you get through your days with all that cognitive dissonance man just (laughs) (laughs) i was saying that we as black people we seem to get things twisted especially in south africa's case post 94 yes it's not to say that white people were united they didn't have differing opinions and ideology because you had your conservative white folk in the 1800s 1900s and you're liberals but the thing is post 94 in south africa these folk realized that they are in the minority and to protect their white interest they need to collaborate hence you hardly find it that they would publicly disagree with each other how often do you come across a situation where a white political party will say another white political party is talking nonsense. How often would you find a white company taking another white company to court? Those kind of things are not common. So there seems to be some kind of regrouping. And for some reason, even though we're not all alike as black people, I accept that. I accept that we all have different needs. We've got different cultures and traditions and the way in which we view the world but 
when it comes to being unison for political reasons, for the good of what we would like to see, we always fail in that regard. I think white people, in terms of um, what their interests are and what it is that they're trying to protect, have had a little bit more time to protect that agenda. And even with gender, like when you think about violence occurs to women by white men, right? In South Africa, like thick abuse and so forth. It's so kept under wraps, right? Like it's so protected territory. It's not out there for all of us to come and attack. It's not mainstream. And I think with with black people, we're really trying to get there now. Like when we think about things like black Twitter, when we think about things like how black women are coming together, how black people are getting together, I think we're really getting to that more of a collective voice space. And I think it's because we've been enabled to do so by access to each other in ways that we've never been able to access each other before. Like think about spatial apartheid and what it did to black people in South Africa, right? So now in this new era, we are able to access each other in a different way. Ricky? Now, that's a great point. European nations had a thousand plus years to fight amongst each other and work things out, right? And then once they took all they could from each other and borders were were made, they said, well, let's look outwards to conquer. And hence, Africa and Asia and what we have now. But for Africa and Asia to a slightly lesser extent, we haven't had that time to work out our own differences amongst each other to then look outward at the world and say okay we've settled our matters internally now we we can look at external factors and kind of control our own destiny and hence we've got someone like president Tsiroa Maposa um hey what did Tsiroa do to you Benuzi? did you hear what Tsiroa said during Obama's speech he was like I keep hearing Madiba's voice right into my ear i have fought against black domination i am sending you to serve the nation <laughs> to that was funny that was my funniest part of that whole event oh, actually like, that's, is he for that's real funny. like i think grandma posts a whole om money and that's why i'm so mad you know, he owed my ten dollars or something he's like <laughs> 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 he's like, Yo, something to him <laughs> but um, Ricardo, just to bring us back on track, though, and to kind of sum up, it's testament by the fact that if you have, can have Trump and Putin in the same room and meeting for two hours to, to have a confidential conversation about who knows what, it just shows the extent to which white people are willing to collaborate, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Let me let this be known. A billionaire black person of a certain elk would be just as quick to throw us under the bus collectively. I just said get ahead. And, and this is it, you never underestimate the coon, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But specifically, white people have shown that um and I don't mean just the average white person on the street. You know what I mean? I mean the real movers and shakers. They have shown that they have no real regard for the average person black or white you know and they're quick to turn the average white person against the average black person or person of color in order to create social strife so they can 
benefit economically. And I think that's what we're seeing here with Donald Trump. 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 After the World Cup of many plot twists, France emerged as the 2018 Men's World Cup final winners. This year's World Cup marks the first time since 1982 that no African team has advanced to the knockout stages. As per the FIFA World Cup qualifying rules, five African teams competed for the title. Senegal, Egypt, Morocco, Nigeria and Tunisia. Senegal became the first team in history to be sent home from the World Cup due to the fair play rule. Senegal was sent home despite having the same win-loss record as Japan, but Senegal had accumulated more yellow cards than Japan. After the five African teams were knocked out, France quickly became dubbed the last African team standing. This is because France team was comprised of about 50% players of African descent. At the time, someone tweeted, say what you want about France, but their preparation for the tournament was second to none. Spent half the 19th century conquering Africa so they could build this side unreal. This was tweeted by Harry at silk 95 this, of course, is alluding to the fact that most of the players of African descent on the French team are actually from the country's former colonies. Post the final, Trevor Noah said that Africa had won the World Cup. Oh boy, and did that start some drama. According to French media, Trevor Noah is a big racist. First of all, balance me real quick. When did African become a race? And also, wow, people really do not know the definition of racism, which is not even shocking considering France's stance on colorblindness. France's ambassador to the United States of America felt that he had time today for a clap back to Trevor Noah, so he wrote him a letter. And in this letter it says, Sir, I watched with great attention your July 17th show when you spoke of the victory of the French team at the 2018 FIFA World Cup Russia final which took place last Sunday. I heard your words about an African victory. Nothing could be less true. As many of the players have already stated themselves, their parents may have come from another country, but the great majority of them all but two out of 23 were born in France. They were educated in France. They learned to play soccer in France. They are French citizens. They are proud of their country, France. The rich and various backgrounds of these players is a reflection of France's diversity. France is indeed a cosmopolitan country, but every citizen is part of the French identity and together they belong to the nation of France. Unlike in the United States of America, France does not refer to its citizens based on their race, religion or origin. To us, there is no hyphenated identity. Roots are an individual reality. By calling them an African team, it seems you are denying their Frenchness. This obviously reflects France's political obsession with colorblindness. Most recently, they've just moved to replace the word race with sex in its constitution, thereby making it harder for anti-racism activists to fight systematic racism and prejudice in the country.
In my opinion, France is committed to the erasure of black and brown people's suffering in the country. Over the past several years, police brutality against black bodies in France has made headlines. Trevor Noah responded back saying, When I am saying they are African, I am not saying it as a way to exclude them from their Frenchness, but using it as a way to include them in my Africanness. Chirinoa's argument stemmed from the fact that to deny them duality is something that he vehemently disagreed with. I agree with everything Trevor said except the part where he says that black people are celebrating that Africans can also be French. There's nothing to celebrate about Africans being French considering the colonial and the current neocolonial history and present. What the saga has brought attention to is the question of identity. In identity theory, there are three aspects of identity. There's the self-identity, the sameness to others, and the society-imposed identity. So as I look at the story, I wonder if the players themselves associate as being African or if we're imposing this identity. What is really missing from this dialogue is how they self-identify. This whole saga reminds me of Ijeoma's poem, which says, So here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. I imagine that this is how the players feel, as dialogues about their identities take place globally, without their consultation. And just to add another layer, we need to talk about how most of these Players of African descent are dating or married to white women. Excuse my French, but what the f are these people on about? Like, they want to claim that these players are theirs on the basis that they now represent success and excellence and hope and prosperity. Is that what? we're ultimately getting to here, Busi. Yeah, essentially, it's that you are only accepted if you're exceptional, right? And that's how white spaces usually work. It's like, even when there was an immigrant crisis or refugee crisis, you always hear the stories of the exceptional immigrants. You don't hear the story of the immigrant who's just working a middle-class job, has a normal house, and is not, you know, somebody who's famous or so forth. It's, it's always about exceptions. It's always about this immigrant went on to start the biggest company in the mm-hmm. you know in the country but that's a global phenomenon right that's how we used to defend people who we feel shouldn't be in those spaces is that they quote unquote right. essentially have to earn a place in those white spaces or those spaces but ricardo this comes from a country that is known to be racist to this day I've heard from French citizens who actually reside in South Africa that in some parts of Paris you'll find signs where they would say where of course it would be graffiti and all of that but it would be there for all to see you know in public spaces like no niggas allowed mm-hmm. or I hate black people or black people are hey but what what country isn't racist 
that has any meaningful population of, of people of color. But you know, they, they, um, they denialism thereof. They, they stay to what they want. They're willing to that, deny. Well, that's the hypocrisy of it. You know, I think most Americans own our racism. <laughs> yeah, but I, I doubt that even the American <laughs> government will go that far to say we well, are exactly. <laughs> to, yeah, Colorblind. You know that we're colorblind. What's what nonsense is you, that? You know what's funny? Maybe that was true, comparatively speaking, pre end of colonialism, right? So there was plenty of black Americans who fled to France for more racial equality. So maybe in the 1930s it was true. It, it Not was even true. because but you know, France, they treated African Americans differently from Africans from their colonies. So there's also right. a double. The tr- exactly. It was an American thing versus a African yeah. thing. It is m- very multi layered. Yeah. But ultimately, yeah, they're racist, right? But uh, I was just going to point out. Could be that- because in Haiti, they got an ass whipping in the 1800s. Anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, they haven't won a war since Napoleon, so but anyway, so make a point of No, I was gonna say what what Boosie was saying is a phenomenon that even transcends race, because if we look at early immigrants to the United States, for example, Irish, the Italians, they were spoken about in the same elk, in the same phraseology. The difference is after a generation or two, they were just considered white and American and just American overall. There wasn't a asterisk next to their nationality anymore. Uh, apart you know? from the ones who insist that I'm Irish American. True. Intense. True. There, there was a subculture of that, but for the most part, you know, because a lot of people, like, like even Italians in the United States, I mean, second to black people, Italians were the second most lynched population in the United States. But somehow that history was swept under the rug, you know. Italians would never think of themselves as victimized as such, you know, um, because they've managed to assimilate. And black people don't get that opportunity. It's just easier to steal if you're white, that's all. No, but there's a great article about how the Irish people basically made it in America by being anti-black. So I guess that's what gets you into the white club as well, regardless, even if you are, you know what I mean? Even if you are white, it actually, it has to work in contrast. Yes, it has to work in contrast to, you know, blackness. It can't just be like, I'm white a place, you know? Exactly. Guaranteed a place. Mm -hmm. Because the Irish started immigrating in large numbers to the United States in the 1830s and 1840s during the potato famine. And then, as we know, in in the 1860s, slavery was abolished. So before that, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants were saying, oh, these Irish people that come in here, they're stealing our jobs, blah, blah, blah. And then as soon as the slaves were freed, it was the Irish could say, oh, look, these niggers, they're free now. They're coming up here, taking our jobs. Right. So there was a new person to hate in the labor force now. And, and that's exactly how the Irish made the transition. Plus, they also monopolized municipal jobs, firefighters, police officers. So even to this day, specifically in former colonies like like New York and Boston, the majority of police forces, you'll see names like O'Malley, O'Donnell, O'Brien, etc., etc., you know. <laughs> Bussy, the notion of being colorblind, since that was the term used, I think, in the letter that was addressed to 
Trevor Noah that the French are colorblind. Like actually, it's an irony. <laughs> Think about it. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, you are colorblind. We know that you are very much so. Um, <laughs> uh, does it make much sense to you in terms of what we're dealing with in today's world? In terms of multi-racialness, about diversity that people are connecting globalization and all of this does it really make sense no <laughs> of course not it'll it will never make sense because i think you you cannot erase people's experiences and you know i say that in the presentation is that it's an erasure of people's experiences so even like the, there's a, even a class element to the story with paris right with france in particular so unemployment and poverty in paris right in the outer states like further out of paris are higher right than anywhere else in france and that's where actually some of their players on their team grew up in a place where it's mostly immigrants mostly people of color and so forth so to deny that right to say we're going to ignore color and we're just going to say this is just a poor area it's to deny that these issues are systematic they're not just because these people happen to live in this region. It's because there's systematic racism happening. And I think, again, color blindness, guys, well, like, there will always be, we'll always see color. It's just a matter of how you see color. So we cannot say you don't see color. It's more about how do you treat other people of color? That's really what it's about. And Exactly. Ooh, they're still far from that, like in terms of justice. It's, we're still yeah. so far from that. Yeah, there's no problem with acknowledging a person is of a different race, a different culture, a different background. I, It's what do you do once you've acknowledged it? Do you look at it as a reason to dislike? Do you look at it as a threat? You know, that's what we're really talking about. It's this it's a polite fantasy, this colorblind thing. You know, the only way that that could really work is if everyone is colorblind, you know, and that's not the case. As long as there's not if one everyone person, is colorblind, that's if everyone is blind. No, that's if everybody's the same color. Because I right. feel like oh, you can't even agree with that. Yeah, because no, because because this is the thing, right? Like even if everybody were blind, right? You could guess, right? From accents, there's other ways to always discriminate right. people, right? And that's, that's there are blind like, racists. <laughs> I mean, they're so, like you know what I mean. So it's more about yeah. the <laughs> it's more about how you view other people in general, right? Ricardo, you mentioned of um, racism. I think the French government clearly hasn't been listening to, to TBIA. Just for recapping for any new listener out there, especially of French descent, they characterized Trevor Noah as being a racist or that his remarks <laughs> were at least being, uh, was racist. What do you have to say about that, seeing that he actually said the players are African? This is the new stratagem for white supremacists, I've noticed. I'm gonna call people of color racist for pointing out races and racial discrimination, right? So if you speak about racial differences or racial diversity, you are a racist, right? <laughs> it's really it's, it's really slick talk when you think about it though, right? Because they're trying to essentially turn your own argument against you, but it's, it's really amateurish in my opinion but it does work amongst that group you know but they seem to have the upper hand though because it's readily accepted it's not even 
really challenged unless it's in our circles Pussy, wouldn't you say it's it's as if you know, i don't know if it's readily accepted i think it's readily ignored and no one <laughs> but you know i don't think white people go necessarily go oh yeah uh-huh yeah you are a racist i think most white people go whatever i don't care but the thing is it's not it definitely isn't challenged enough the the hypocrisy in it the stupidity of it but i don't know if it's necessarily accepted most people are just indifferent to it they just look at it as banter or something if that's the case it would be more sad because you know just to think of race as or someone saying a black person is racist or a colored person sorry 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 trevor you colored sorry sorry about that um, white people in general do not like to engage in racial dialogue i read an article earlier research study and it was talking about the protests that were happening in the united states after the shooting of an unar- unarmed black teen a few years ago michael brown in missouri and the protest that we've that happened about that and they interviewed white people and asked asked them if they had discussions about it and you know what came of it most people didn't and the ones that did kind of talked about it obliquely and even then they didn't use words like privilege and things of that nature like words that we would use to describe those kind of injustices white people that wasn't in their lexicon it's a form of denialism that's that's how i would think about it this is rather rich coming from a country like france you know when it suits them now they want to depict themselves as exemplary figures of the global community not forgetting that of course they are still responsible for what they term colonial tax that is owed to them by some countries in africa it's i don't know how they reconcile all of these things when they fail to acknowledge such things things that they are responsible for atrocities with that being said pussy what do you make of trevor noah's remarks when it comes to the whole african dash french identity issue do you agree with them if so why yeah so i i said yeah i definitely agree with trevor Noah. i think so identities are complex there's no one person with one identity right so we identify as many things busi is not just busi busi is black busi is a woman busi is you know what i mean like there's many different identities to busi and other people right people are lgbtqi people are you know so i think it, there's there's a discussion here that needs to be had about citizenship because that's one identity and culturally what's the other identity because I, I i can bet you most of those guys grew up in african households in france which means and i mean african households in a sense that they ate their local foods from their countries like their parents you know cooked the local foods maybe spoke the language they went to churches that are from you know what i mean so culturally that's how they were raised and i and i think citizenship is another thing and again i think no one's asked these people do you have dual citizenship you know what do you identify as i think that's actually the biggest problem with this dialogue is that we're having these conversations about their identities and we claiming them and at the same time we need to acknowledge that they chose to play for the french team right so these players chose to play for the french team chances are for economic reasons yes for economic reasons but the question is why right like you we want to hear that i want to hear that i want to hear 
my family moved to France because there were better job opportunities here or you know what I mean like I don't have dual citizenship or I really do identify as French right so the answer can be anything and I think mm-hmm. that's the missing point I think the French government just scored an own goal on this whole thing instead of seeing it as a global celebration uh-huh. he doesn't sort of shut his mouth as it's, well, well, sorry, why couldn't you see it as it's a global victory it was a good time to do mm-hmm. some cheap PR like yeah yeah you know you know we we are a, a multiracial society uh-huh. everyone contrary to what people may have thought about us but look at us here we're making this thing work as bad as hey, some but, people um, might think we doesn't are doesn't this go back to what I said before about this ultra nationalism that's running rampant it's not good enough just to be uh, African players on a, on the French national team. You must be French now. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's this ultra, it's, it, it's toxic, this ultra nationalism yeah, this that's is, going around here. It's like, yeah, we forget that probably when they got there, like, Blackie, can you kick a ball? You know? Exactly. Right? You know what I mean? And that's the thing. It's like just such a mess which is why again like i feel like the reason why i want to hear from these players again is also the the, the thing that they are married to or dating white women so i'm very interested in this yes concept. that's what i wanted to move so, on to now the whole yeah. aspect that they are married to white women and my understanding is that it's a good majority of them that are married yes. to white women do you see this as an identity crisis of some sort potentially no i don't think so i think this is my thing about interracial relationships i'm like you know what people should be with whoever they love but i think there's two things that need to be considered it's the why and that's more of a self retrospection and the who right so the why is am i with this woman because somehow i've been conditioned to think that white is superior and black women are a certain way you know it's kind of like those black men who say i don't date black women mm-hmm. and then you want to ask them why right because that, that's that's an important thing um and the the other one is who because i think you can be married to someone who who thinks you are exception and is not pro black right so just because someone is married to you does not mean that they're pro black or pro immigrants or whatever and so that's a political sense of who is that person that you're marrying I think people make the mistake of marrying people who exceptionalize them and I was watching this documentary about biracial kids whose white parent had voted for Trump how that created division within the family that's just wrong right so it, it shows yeah it shows how that someone can how can a black child vote for Donald Trump you, 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 wow get your hate right, right on. is that just because you hey just because you've got black people in your life that you love does not necessarily mean that you're pro black right as a white person and and just because you're black doesn't mean you're pro but you're pro black either exactly <laughs> amen amen to that too oh right i'm not black i'm oj <laughs> <laughs> so you know like but but what other uh, Ricardo, your thoughts on what uh Busis just said about interracial uh dating so here's here's a thing too and i think it, it is a factor to put in here um so let's not forget that these people the the people on this team are supreme athletes right many of them play for very prestigious clubs i'm, I'm assuming right yes. and they probably make hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars too. more like millions tens of millions of dollars tens of millions of dollars right if you're making that kind of money 
and you're running in these kinds of circles how many black women are in these same circles for you to be interested in dating or marrying yeah but you're bro. I, I think i think it's worth considering <laughs> hey, like, if you're surrounded by nothing but white people no. What? You know what I mean? You're no. gonna go back to the hood just to get married? I don't know. Like, are you? <laughs> uh, uh, guys, some of these players live in the in like in the UK or like. Come on, I think some of them. It's like, where do you meet them? Yeah, I think it's got to do with this whole idolizing of whiteness of. You know, mm-hmm. it's, I was it's, just giving a yeah, no, sure, I, I, another I, 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 I side I, I of the coin where I'm you. sure that's I the case for you. some of them. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah no, some of them are childhood well. girlfriends or right, yeah. Mm, mm, mm. But now, like, if you grew up in a predominantly white space and you went to a white school and you lived in a white area, like, obviously, the mm-hmm. chances are you're not meeting or interacting with a lot of black women, right? Like, but I mean, if you live in a metropolitan area, right? Like, if you live in Paris, if you live in Wow, guys! Like, if you live in London, you there's just so many mm-hmm. people that they you can't say that it's because they're not exposed to. They're maybe not trying to meet black women. That's what I would say. This whole wanting to dilute the melanin, so to speak. I know that. I think Ndlanda once mentioned this as well. Yeah, when talking about it. Uh, I don't think he mentioned it on TTBIA as uh, one of the podcasts, but one of our discussions where you've got Facebook groups where you have white men who are looking for dark-skinned women. These are war vets or contract killers like mercenaries and so on. And they actually looking for black women that they want to pay to get married to them or just for sexual favors and all the like but they're quite clear about this some of the groups are go as far as to be called like white men looking for black women you know so uh, i'm just wondering like could this be the other way around where you have black men who are actually actively looking for white women the other weekend my girls and i had a girls trip the south of the uk by a beach right there's a beach it's called Byron. Mm-hmm. and it was such an interesting space because we were getting all attention from men right and i've never had this much attention from white men i think in general being in the uk i've had way more attention from white men than i've ever had in my lifetime and we're in Brighton and all these white men, they're like, you gorgeous. Like, what's happening in Brighton today? Why are there so many beautiful women? You know, one of mm-hmm. them saying African queen to me, guys. Like, this is <laughs> right? <laughs> African queen to us. African like, we're walking queen. and this man was like, you guys are gorgeous and started singing African. But when we went to the club, the black men. Hmm? You black beauty. <laughs> you ask, he sang. No, he sang. African queen. Get it right. African beat the song. Oh, like you, you African, African queen. Yes, he sang it. Guys, I was so shooketh. <laughs> shooketh. But when we went to the club, when we went to the club and we went to the club that was um, very diverse, a very big club and went to the hip hop section and there were a lot of black guys there. But let me tell you that these black guys were not interested in us. These mm. black guys were there for the white woman. Thank you for joining us for the 16th edition of The Thinking Behind It All. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Please don't leave us. Please tell your friends. 
family. And as I always say, you lovers, let them know about us. Read the word. Even your interracial lovers. Even your interracial <laughs> lovers. Hey, one job rule. <laughs> pro black. This is a pro black show, though. Let them know. Yeah, thank you for following us on Facebook. The thinking behind it all is the page if you have not yet. Or you can follow us on Twitter at TTBIA underscore. Thank you to the crew, Ricardo and Busi. And hopefully we'll be back next week. Your silence is concession. Shop. Shop.